0: It's the Lockdown Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: Welcome to the party. The Vikings have traded for a quarterback. A reef gets burned on Twitter by a Vikings starter. And what's the most difficult position to pinpoint on the Vikings 53-man roster? It's the Minnesota Football Party, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Endless Vikings talk with local experts. Let's meet those local experts today. We've got the two Lukes: Luke Inman of Superior Sports Talk and Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings coming at you daily. We've also got Arif Hassan of theathletic.com covering the Vikings there. Uh, gentlemen, happy Monday, Arif. Uh, have, do you have an ice pack on you after the Chandon Sullivan burn on Twitter? Is that? Are you Are you wrapped up in ice and gauze? How are you doing? How are you feeling?
2: I mean, honestly, the burn wasn't that... Like, if we're being honest, you just disagreed with me. That's all it was.
1: (laughs) There it is. If you're watching on YouTube, Shannon Sullivan gets after Arif's critique, and he was sitting in the weeds for eight days with this Arif. You critique the Raiders' performance, and he comes at you eight days later. You thought you were in the clear, but Shannon Sullivan is watching at all times.
2: Well, no, hold on, hold on. Who comes out of this looking worse, though, Right? Like name searching eight days after a game, that's 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 beta behavior. Name searching constantly, yeah. Like, oh, also, like, here's the—he's th- just like, I, what if I was just complimenting all ten other starters more, right? Because I was just saying he's the biggest <laughs> issue on the defense, but all ten other starters—they're a really high level. Were you? Does he? Does he have? Does he have like something to say about Patrick Peterson? I'd love to hear it. It's
1: an 85 Bears-like defense, and Shandon Sullivan is 11th of 11, but he's still really, really good.
3: Yeah, he's a Leslie Frazier. <laughs> Leslie Frazier, yes, thank you, yes.
1: <laughs> we got a big show today, but we'll jump right into the Minnesota Vikings making a trade for a quarterback. His name is Nick Mullins. He hails from the Las Vegas Raiders. The price they pay... A 2024 seventh round pick, so basically nothing. The Vikings get Nick Mullins to presumably be their backup. We start with Luke Inman. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think it's a good happy medium between the old Wiley Mannion, capped out. You don't trust him to go win a ball game, and that young development quarterback Kellen Mond, who you also don't trust to go out and win a ball game either. Now you've got a guy who's got four years under his belt in the league. This will be his fifth year. More importantly, 17 starts, 16 of them under that Shanahan offense. So I think that will translate and transition smoothly over to the KOC offense better compared to other few options they would have had to make a move on in free agency or a different trade. And I think most importantly, risk reward cost you just a seventh round pick in two years. And I think just 1.4 million against the cap. So, we all question whether the number two quarterback was on the roster. It turns out it wasn't. Assuming Mullins does come in over the next month and can get caught up to speed inside this offense and leapfrog Mondin Mannion, which obviously isn't saying much.
2: It's a smart move. I mean, if you take a look at Mullins's production in a similar system, obviously his Shanahan system is not identical to the McVay system, but they have very similar roots and probably have some pretty similar terminology. Um, you take a look at his production there, and it's just substantially better than anything Mannion's been able to put together. And I think by proxy... That would tell us it's probably better than something Bond can do because Bond has yet to beat out Mannion. Um, the fact that that race is close probably tells us that if we compare Mullins to Mannion, um, you're in a much better spot. I think Mullins' career passer rating is something like 87, Mannion's is like 66. Um, you compare their adjusted net yards per attempt, it's like 6.5 to 3.7. And it, those are, you know, middle of the bottom number numbers for a quarterback for Nick Mullins. And those are out of the league numbers, which I guess that's technically from a starter's perspective, what Sean Mannion is, but they're not comparable to NFL starters. They are liabilities. They're enormous problems. uh, Statistically speaking, compared to, to other quarterbacks around the league. And so Mullins is definitely that type of quarterback where. If you're up two scores at halftime and, and he has to come in and play out the rest of the game, you've got a pretty reasonable shot at winning the game. Right. Whereas with Mannion, you're going to lose more points than you gain having him out there on the field. You're going to give up field position. You're going to throw picks. You're going to have bad sacks. I mean, I I, I think with Mullins, you just have a, a much more capable, stable quarterback. That,
4: and I guess this is important for Cousins, doesn't really threaten Cousins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I wonder how Cousins feels about this because he has like pounded the table for Sean Mannion for like four years now. Um. But I, the bottom line of it is neither Mond nor Mannion deserve to be on a 53-man roster right now, and I think Nick Mullins does. And This was a panic button. I think we knew that they needed to hit. And, I mean, trading a 2024 conditional seventh is not panicking. That's a pretty – the the price is right. Conditional on Nick Mullins being active <laughs> for one game. Yeah, which we've is, seen – If that's the where the bar is. Panic. Yeah, we know what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, but like, it's, it's, I think it's great. It's a good, good move. It's really cheap. And they got better at a position that they, Jesus, they needed to be better at. And I think the question now is, is Kellen Mon going to be able to be a QB three? Like, is he worth a roster spot on the promise of developing him more? That becomes the question. And that question is uncomfortably hard. <laughs> great point luke i think that is a huge puzzler
1: on cut day i picture kirk cousins the day he says goodbye to sean mannion like michael scott leaning over the computer refreshing on goodbye my lover by uh james blunt over and o- just the 30 second <laughs> sample
3: over and over again
0: <laughs> he-
3: here's what i've got it's on just a sample I though think- he didn't buy the whole song it's just the same yeah, yeah.
1: just a taste just a taste um it's conceivable that KOC you know, picked Shanahan's brain about Mullins while they were here, and that precipitated this trade. If you look at the PFF ranks, Mullins is bad. I mean, you could convince yourself that this is a, a disastrous quarterback who, as Arif said, is more of a liability. That being said, he has six NFL football games against NFL football players where he had a 75-grade or better. He has five NFL football games against NFL football players, where he had a passer rating of 100 or above. So somewhere in there, of kind of like a struggling 17-game stretch as a starter, he's going to have some good moments. And that's probably more than we can say we've ever seen from Mannion in very select duty, or Mond, who struggles against twos and threes. So I think this is the best you're going to do when you try to make a move for a, a quarterback after the market has already, you know, Uh, been established and you try to trade for someone like for that price yeah it's great it's great to get someone in who can maybe one in three times give you a hundred quarterback rating that's a good thing but man I can't stop thinking about Luke Braun's point what do you do on cut day with Mond and I think I would lean toward hanging
4: on to him for at least this year what do you guys think who's better in 2024 Kellen Mond or Nick Mullins two years from now I'm going cool with Mullins. I'm sorry. Kellen Mond just, just doesn't look like he's going to make it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I think that Mullins is probably better, but I think um, I generally would like to give quarterbacks a third year, even if they don't show very much in the way of progression. Although I guess I would say Mond's progression is uh, pretty clear and obvious, just not in a way that currently translates into usable quarterback play. Um, so I, I would say you keep him on the roster, but certainly I think that the likelihood is that Mullins is better than Mond in 2024. I would just say um, the reverse case, you know, the instance where Mond is better than Mullins in 2024 uh, is really valuable and it's worth uh, preserving a roster spot for that um, however small uh,
3: eventuality. Yeah, ditto reef there. I think you got to give him one more year. And I think it's just such an important position. If somehow he does make some sort of miraculous leap next year, it was worth keeping him on that extra roster spot. But you're right, I, Luke Brown, you're right. Two years from now, I'm putting my money on Nick Mullen still being better than Kelamon for sure. But I think, again, risk-reward, I think it's worth keeping him on that roster spot.
4: Yeah, I, and I don't I think was claiming him. If you cut him, I think you could do this on the practice right. squad if you wanted to Yeah, because after what he's put well, out in the preseason, nobody's going, that guy's on my 53. <laughs> I see I, I told Arif
1: after Saturday's press conference with KOC, he was asked about the quarterback spot, and he did the most delicate tiptoe job around that question. He knew this was in the works, and he went to great filibustering lengths to talk around that question. He knows that it's been a problem. Uh, and that leads us to Saturday's game. Honestly... I don't have a lot to say about the aesthetic of that game. I think there are some interesting players to talk about, but I want, I want you guys to try to conjure a hot take somehow out of that game. 17-7, 49ers win a dullard of a preseason game where 27 players on both sides didn't play. So, Arif, how hot can you turn up the heat on a take of a preseason game that nobody cared about?
2: Uh, I mean, I can I can create a pretty hot take. I can say the Vikings are in contention of the best defensive line in the NFL, right? Like all, all we McGill. need, right. I mean, you just need T.Y. McGill. Jonathan Bullard had a really great game for his, what was it, nine snaps. I know Luke, Luke probably reviewed that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I would say that when you've got, you know, McGill and Bullard as your backups, guys that are playing at, I would argue, a starter level, and then you've got what we've seen from Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson, I mean, it's going to be hard to run on that front. And you've got Daniel Hunter and Zerdiah Smith, and Zerdiah Smith look like a monster against the 49ers uh, in joint practices, maybe not the preseason. Uh, you know, I, I think that you've got you know, the, the potential to have the best defensive line in the NFL. Just putting that out there.
1: Hmm. Yeah, T.Y. McGill can one is that is a combination
4: a
2: hero pretty fast here.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Luke well, Braun. like you said on the, the, the postcast, Sam, he's the next Tom Johnson a thunder bucket of his own yeah is that what (laughs) i can combine two really hot takes into one and they cancel each other out and i can say that alexander madison was in danger of losing his job and no longer is i thought he had a really nice game and i think Mm -hmm. he needed one Mm -hmm. he was good in pass protection he made the right reads like that he he i didn't do that against the raiders i don't think he was ever but that's why it's that's the other hot take (laughs)
2: <laughs> and you're you're willing I've been to say that take it's like may
1: <laughs> i know it's a hot take but you're willing to solidify his spot after how many series
4: two what i wanted to see was him pick up a blitz right because i saw him like mess that up like enough to be concerned uh and not have like a crazy vision issue and i actually thought he had like a bunch of really actually good reps the one Kellen mond rep where he bails out of the pocket and finds I think it was BC Johnson on the run. That does not happen if it's not for if not for a really really quality blitz pickup on a stunt from from Madison. That's the kind of stuff I wanted to see from him. But Fair that's enough. why it's two hot takes. Both that also, he needed it can, and that he did. Can
2: I Wangu correctly picking up a blitz and still allowing the quarterback hit? Like at some point, may, uh, <laughs> Madison's inability or relative inability to cons- be consistent about his uh, blitz assignments to not always get his assignment, right. Is less than, you know, another running back's ability to always get the assignment, right. And that not mattering. Cause they just get bowled over. Right. So there's, I mean, Madison when he picks up his blitz is actually a pretty good pass protector. It's just going all the way back to Boise state. This has always been a problem for him is that, you know, making those assignments correct. Um, and like Luke said, actually over the past two games, not just, not just this game. Um, Madison's been pretty good about blitz pickup. Not a He's good much week for,
1: for Wong Wu with the drops against San Francisco and then the, the missed blitz, uh, blitz pickup, as you referred to. Luke Inman, I've got a hot take. I want you to react to it. I don't think the Vikings have a wide receiver worthy of the sixth wide receiver spot on the roster right now. Your thoughts.
3: Hmm. Interesting. Well, my hot take, not as spicy as a Reefs. It was going to be that BC is the clear cut number four on this team right now, heading into the season. You might see ISM and certain packages and looks, but I think more times than not, at least out of the gate, these first two, three weeks, I think you're going to see BC up first for snaps. KJ, JJ, Thielen needs a breather, banged up for a few plays. I think it's B.C. Johnson that's going to come up first and foremost, just from what we've seen these first two preseason games collectively and what we've seen from camp thus far, too. So um, I think B.C.'s not only making the team, obviously, he could put that to bed long ago, but he'll be more of a contributor in the passing game. Really, I think you're right. The biggest battle at wide receiver now remains Tristan Jackson, Myron Mitchell, Jalen Naylor. And Naylor, by the way, I think he's the long shot of the three at this point. I'd give the edge to Jackson, but is he worth a wide receiver six spot at this point? Can you how likely is it that you can sneak him on the practice squad? I think that's what you end up risk reward. Try to gamble on big question. Obviously, it's going to get answered. What next Tuesday? I think when they got to trim down to 53. So um, I think he is worth a number six spot, to be honest, in this offense, knowing how much you're going to spread him out. I think he is.
1: And you were the one who opened my eyes, Luke, to the fact that Jackson was an O'Connell McVeigh guy, what, two years ago? Is that, is that accurate? Ago,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, he, he got a little bit of love in the postgame from, uh, from KOC in the sense that KOC lumped him in with those that are battling along with Myron Mitchell. Didn't mention Albert Wilson. Might not be looking good for, for our boy Albert there. Uh, what do you guys think of this? If Andrew Booth Jr. is hurt – a Caleb Evans is the first corner off the bench. Because I thought he was physical on Saturday. And uh, I don't know if he can cover, but he's not afraid to hit people, wrap people up. Uh, Luke Braun, your thoughts on that? I know we t- touched on it in the postcast.
4: A little bit. I, I haven't been able to go back and like rewatch him. But on the day, I kept noticing that he was playing really far off and kind of getting exposed over it. I think he played a little scared, um, which that that can happen, right? You just give a little more cushion than you think you need to give um, and then things get caught in front of you. So I don't know. That's backup corner behavior. I, I think there could be a world where he comes in at this moment if it were up to me and I had to choose somebody that isn't Andrew Booth to be like the third guy off on the outside. I'm probably going with Chris Boyd.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think Boyd certainly has the reps and the experience to be and I'm like a Nick Mullins, like he's going to have some good moments. He's also going to have some bad moments. Um, The cornerback, the depth chart, Arif, is tricky to me at this point. I don't love the like far down depth that they have available. And if you lose Booth, I think it really gets exposed.
2: Yeah, I, I guess I'm not like overly concerned. I think that this is not the deepest cornerback group the Vikings have had. It's also not the shallowest. Um, that they've had over the past decade. I think that, you know, you're somewhere in the middle in terms of what that depth is and what that brings you. Um, I'm not overly concerned about a Caleb Evans, right? I I think that, you know, he had a good showing. I think that there were some moments where he kind of played a little bit too far off. The thing is, you know, Luke says he plays scared, and I think the way that that usually actualizes for, uh, you know, quarterbacks is that they don't really get in there and get the tackle. He was fine doing that. It was his coverage that was, uh, you know, um, a little bit. I, I don't know if hesitant's the right word, but he did. definitely didn't want to be a, a line scared. Cover. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. yeah You didn't want to get beat deep, I guess. Um, yeah, that's what. Yeah. But yeah, but uh I, I think for the most part, um he has. I wouldn't say the fundamentals down. That's his primary concern, but he has you know the basics as far as you want in a depth corner. Obviously, you go past Booth, which you know the Booth injury is evidently not that serious. We'll probably get an update later today, but. Uh, once you get bat, past booth, once you get past Evans, like, yeah, you're in a pretty big spot. I, I guess I like Harrison hand enough that it doesn't really bother me that much, but, um, yeah, I mean, my bigger concern is that nickel corner spot, not just, you know, the starter, but also the depth, you know, what do you do? Um, if Shannon Sullivan's <laughs> not more. able to go, do you just, right. Do you, I mean like, okay, let, let's say Shannon Sullivan is quite good. Sure. Fine. Maybe he's right. Um, if he gets hurt, what happens, right? You do you roster Perry Nickerson in that in that circumstance? I don't know. I, that doesn't seem you know wonderful to me. Do you move Harrison Hand inside? You know he's been floated as as the as the shadow depth the nickel corner, but he hasn't really taken that many nickel sl- uh, snaps in this defense uh, over camp, right? Do you move Patrick Peterson inside? I mean that's a somewhat common move for uh, older cornerbacks, and then you just promote one of your outside guys, um, but. You know, I don't know if quick area, uh, sorry, short area quickness is where Patrick Peterson um, really has a lot of his athleticism left. So I don't know if that's necessarily the best move. So the, the concern for cornerback depth has less to do with overall the quality of the cornerbacks down the roster, which I think is fine, you know, compared to most teams, not the best, not the worst. Uh, it's that nickel spot that really bothers me just in terms of, you know, what happens if an injury occurs there.
3: Yeah, to that point, too, I I, I want to throw this one out, you know, just to try to alleviate your weaknesses as much and highlight your strengths. How much they – if if they were to get into some trouble and maybe an outside guy goes down, is it a Caleb Evans or is it Chris Boyd? Maybe Chandon Sullivan goes down. Is it Harrison Hand? Is it Perry Nixon? Who is – do they start to lean into that three safety look, big nickel look, stuff like that a little bit more and try to highlight and accent more of their strengths and talent with Bynum, Harry, and obviously trying to get Lewis seen all three of those guys on the field as much as possible. Obviously, you're limited a little bit more in what you can do, but um, I, I think that was something that we talked about a lot in the offseason after they drafted Lewisine and knew that Bynum still had a chance to be on the field quite a bit. Do you think they lean into this three safety package look a little bit more if that cornerback depth does start to uh, you know drop down and get concerning if you start to miss a guy or two?
2: I'm going to jump in here. I think yes, Bynum I might think be the second do. best. Okay. Yeah, that that could be the case. I think it's not just that Bynum can play cornerback for you. Although, you know, we saw a little bit of that last year and it wasn't wonderful. We saw why they moved him to safety. But um, the Vikings have been very aggressive about putting safeties on the field in these sub packages. Not only mm-hmm. did they show three safety looks throughout, you know, training camp uh, that put Lewis Cien on the field that put, you know, uh, Cameron Bynum in interesting spots. They also put four safety looks out on the field. Right, the uh, the two minute defense against um, against Trey Lance in in the final joint practice uh, ended up seeing four safeties on the field with Josh Metellus playing cornerback, and he was playing outside cornerback mm. in that scenario. But I've also mm. seen him on the field in three and four safety sets as a nickel corner, and that's mm. interesting to me because I remember his rookie year in training camp. I was really impressed with what he could do with man coverage and thought that his own coverage was frankly kind of garbage, which is really interesting for a safety whose primary job is going to be that. Um, So I actually think that that's something that they might continue to explore. Now, Metellus is like man coverage capability is probably better against tight ends, which actually he he was one of the only ones that did all right in those drills uh, against the 49ers. Than uh, than it is against uh, receivers, but I that's better than what we're probably going to get from Harrison Smith. Where Harrison Smith has an enormous skill set, he's good at everything except man coverage. Coming up,
1: we are we're going to guess Kirk Cousins' stat line for 2022. We've also got our mystery guest of honor coming up here momentarily. But first, a word from BetOnline.net: the fastest and easiest way to check check in and all your betting needs. The Vikings did not cover. On Saturday, so many folks are devastated, I'm sure. They'll try again on Saturday against the Broncos. You can find the line at BetOnline.net, your top online resource for sports wagering information. Head there today on your laptop or your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. It's BetOnline. It's where the game starts. And, folks, again, make sure to subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota. Leave a five-star review leave a comment wherever you get your podcasts it's free and available and the video is free as well locked on sports minnesota on youtube we've got our guest of honor sitting in waiting he works for the vikings entertainment network as a an on-air host his name is gabe henderson Gabe, welcome to the party my man
0: thanks for having me on glad to be joined by you guys um it's been a Interesting offseason thus far, but I'm I'm happy to talk Vikings. This is going to be a a really good year for this team, so I'm just hoping all the pieces of the puzzle come together um, before the season starts.
1: Gabe, we should probably get your Nick Mullins take out of the gate. Nick Mullins traded earlier today. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think that was um, an interesting trade. I, I can see a lot of people saying, um, that didn't come by surprise, especially after the, you know, the last two performances by our backup quarterbacks. But I will look at that and say, you know, this is an opportunity for Kelamon and Sean Mayen to have more competition going into uh, preseason game number three. Preseason game number one was really good for Kelamon. Sean uh, Mayen didn't have any interceptions also. Then last week, uh, it wasn't the best performance for Kelamon having two interceptions. So uh, this is an opportunity. Uh, Kevin Kevin O'Connell, Kwesi Fomento, they saw – they saw Nick Mullins last week or two weeks ago uh, when he was playing for the Las Vegas Raiders. So this only adds more competition to that room and ultimately, hopefully it makes the team better.
1: I should to see if he plays on Saturday or if they just go Mon Mannion once again in that rotation.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see that too. Um, I'm sure he, I don't think you, you bring him on the roster on a Monday and he doesn't play on a, a Saturday night, especially in the preseason game, so I would I would assume that he will play. I think his biggest thing is how quickly can he grasp this playbook. This playbook is very complex, very deep. Uh, a, a lot of players have already said that. So, what is that learning curve for him learning this on a, um, a five day notice? Of course, preseason is the the playbook is very vanilla and very bland, and a lot of the same plays, but how deep can we go in the playbook with Nick Mullins? how how much does he know uh, already how much can he unlearn what he learned in Las Vegas this offseason the past three or four months and learn maybe 10 to 20 to 25 plays on this Minnesota Vikings team right now and ultimately go out there and make some success on this upcoming sunday this upcoming saturday against the Denver Broncos so see there's a, there's a lot to to learn a lot to to know and i'm sure his head is probably swimming right now also
3: Luke Inman, what do you got for a man, Gabe? Well, you know, Gabe, I was just thinking about these wide receivers. And and K.J. Osborne, uh, we know he just came out of nowhere last year in his second year. No one had him on 50 receptions, 800 yards, 7 TDs. So that was obviously great to see. Is there another second-year guy you think could have a similar leap in their sophomore year? Somebody that were, you know, kind of maybe – you know, flying under the radar a little bit, if you will, that um, could have maybe a similar kind of leap in production that we saw KJ take? I know there's a laundry list of guys. They drafted a lot of guys last year. Is there one guy in there that uh, you're expecting some big things from?
0: I I know this isn't the the sexiest position and a a person that you're not going to see his name or number or anything in the stat sheet. I mean, you don't want to hear his name or number on the stat sheet, but I got to say Christian Derisov. Uh, Mm -hmm. Left tackle for the Minnesota Vikings has had a really phenomenal offseason. Last week, they had the joint practices. He was going one-on-one against Nick Bosa, who is uh, arguably one of the best DNs in the game today. He was putting Nick Bosa on skates. I mean, there were some plays, that Nick Bosa won, some of those reps rightfully so. But Christian Derisaw, the work that he's put in this offseason is starting to pay off. Um, There was a few videos this offseason on his Instagram of him being here at the TCO Performance Center working out at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and just getting that work in that that could put him over that edge for uh, this upcoming season. And we're, we're starting to see some of that work pay off. We saw Trent Williams make that comment this past week that he sees a lot of himself in this second year Christian Derisaw. And, and I think this is only going to be another year that he continues to get better. I think that the better Christian Derisaw is, the more comfortable Kirk Cousins is in this offense. And we all know when Kirk is comfortable, is, is a, a top 10, top five quarterback when he is able to be himself. Mm, love it. Mm-hmm.
4: Gabe, I got to know, I got, I want to ask you about some of the, the hosting stuff that you've done over at VEN. And in particular, if you had to start a podcast, who would be your co-host? Who would be the most fun person to talk to <laughs> that also is good for content? <laughs>
0: So this you're you're talking about players, right? Because I feel like it's a trick question if you don't say players, play.
4: staff, sh- coaches. St- yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I would. Um, man, who would be a good co-host?
4: You lost your boy oh, Michael man. Pierce. We've had
0: Michael Pierce yeah, on the Michael- show when you fill in for Ron oh, Johnson. Yeah, he would be fun. Michael Pierce is good. One guy that I always ask, um, and he actually brought it up to me the other day, just in walking. He was like, "Man, like me and you would make a really good podcast." Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson who was Michael Pierce's mm. best friend last week, I oh, mean, yeah. last year. Mm. Cool. Uh, Dalvin Tomlinson is such a unique person. Like, he has so many interests outside of life, and uh, he has a really big personality. Like, I, I really like being around uh, Dalvin Tomlinson. Outside of him, um, this interview hasn't came out yet. It'll come out later this week, but Zedarius Smith, like, the guy's character, his personality, his energy. Um, you, you're going to see it in the interview that comes out later this week. Like, he, he is a guy that, when he's on, he's on. And that's what you need for for our world, right? You you gotta be entertaining, you gotta let the fans in, you gotta be a little bit more a little bit vulnerable too. So he has a balance of everything. And I feel like uh if it's not Dalvin Thomas and Zedarius Smith, I feel like we'll we'll bounce off of each other really well. So we'll see. Hopefully those guys can can make more plays when they beat defensive side of the ball and they'll have me on as a guest host, uh ten to fifteen <laughs> years from now. <laughs>
2: <That's so good. laughs> Okay, uh two questions. One, I feel like you trimmed down the beard the last time I saw you actually in camp. So I want to see if that Okay, sounds like that's the case. Good. Looks good, man. Two. <laughs> two, uh, <laughs> two, uh yeah, I, I think there's a lot of areas on this team where we've been pleasantly surprised at the amount of depth they've been able to generate. I think safety, obviously, is one of them. Defensive line is another one. I think the Vikings are pretty happy with the offensive line depth. I'm a little bit, you know, concerned about it. But, you know, I, I think that the Vikings uh, seem pretty positive about it. But one area that has been put into sharp relief in, in, in terms of that is tight end, right? You know, without Irv Smith, you know, they're expecting him back by week one. Sounds like he's on track. But without Irv Smith, we've seen a lot. Of of Johnny Mont, Zach Davidson, Ben Ellison, we saw a lot, a little bit of Sean Byer, uh, in camp. Um, what do you what is the plan? Do you think in you know as Herb Smith continues to be somewhat of an injury concern, overblown I think from my perspective, but something that's in in everybody's mind. What do you think is the plan in a world where he has to miss you know ten twenty snaps or even you know a couple of games here and there? Uh, when, it, when it comes to getting a guy to step up and, and play a tight end role, even if it's not, you know, maybe a tight end in the tight end room.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, if, if Earth of Junior is out, Johnny Munt's is going to be the guy. They're trying to develop Nick Muse. Um, I know Nick Muse is a seventh round pick, but if you look on the film, look at the film last week, like he, he has been putting up some numbers. Like he's been doing his thing both in the blocking game and the pass catching game. There was a play last week where he chipped the tight, where he chipped the defensive end, knocked him on his butt, and then went out for a route and caught like an eight-yard pass. So there's an option there. And then Zach, Zach Davidson, he, I feel like he has the most upside. He just has to be more, a little bit more consistent. Like I, I kind of empathize with Zach Wilson right now, right? Because when I was in college, my sophomore year of playing at Liberty, um, everybody was talking about me. All right, this guy's going to be the next slot receiver. He has so much potential. He can do this. He can do that. And I was so caught up in that moment that I was dropping easy passes and it took me some time to develop, to say like, okay, let's flesh out all that noise. Let's just make some catches, uh, go out there just have some fun and then ultimately get the opportunities that I deserve. But until that time comes, I gotta, I gotta put um, the pressure, or not even the pressure, but the opportunity kind of goes to CJ Hamm. He's such a a do-it-all type of fullback. You can line him up at tight end and it's somewhat of a mismatch. He can block, he's fast, he can run, he can block, he can pretty much do everything you need him to. And I think right now with Err Jr. out, um, Johnny Munt and CJ Ham, I feel like both of those guys are going to be getting a majority of those tight end slash fullback reps. I mean, you, you, you definitely have to make a defense off balance and both of those guys uh, can can do that. You don't want to put that nickel on the field or, or that smaller DB that can cover a fullback or cover a tight end and um, kind of put you at a disadvantage if you're an offensive coordinator. So you, you want to put that advantage back on yourselves. And I think CJ Hamm and uh, Johnny Munt will be those guys. I mean, think about the Rams offense last year when Tyler Higbee got hurt. I mean, they were going further and further down the roster and they still won a Super Bowl. So it's going to force this offensive, you know, coaching staff to be more creative. But I, I still think, the guys are still on this roster to do so.
1: Gabe, I'm glad you brought up your career at Liberty. Tell me, who is the, the team CCU that you might have played at Liberty? Just fill, fill in the, the blank for me. Coastal Carolina? Who are we talking about?
0: Yeah, Coastal Carolina University. Coastal that was, Carolina. Uh, that was our rival.
1: Yep. Well, clearly, because on October 19th, 2013, you lost to them 55-52. to 52. Gabe Henderson had nine receptions. 135 yards and a touchdown. Tell me about that game.
0: Man, that's that you gotta bring that up, Sam, huh? Like,
1: you beat him the next year. You beat him the next year, 15 to 14, and you had 10 catches for 114. So clearly they were having nightmares about Gabe Henderson, the slot guy. But I want to know about the fifty-five-fifty-two game. Tell me about that.
0: Man, that was the uh, that was probably one of the craziest games in my career. So coastal was like you know the Carolina Duke game for us. So like we our, our stadium sat like twenty two thousand, and I think we had like twenty six. So like everything was just crazy that game. Leading Jeez. up to the game, I can tell I can tell their game plan was stop our uh, our number one receiver. His name was Darren Peterson. So I was just that that aggravating pest in the middle, just catching passes, going up the field. Like I think. Out of those 155 yards, I probably had 130 in the first half. So mm. after the first half, they started double teaming me. So that was the game plan. So I want to say we were up probably 20 points going into the fourth quarter. All our fans started leaving. So like everybody's like, all right, let's 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 get ready for uh Bible. I was about to say, let's get ready to party. But they're like, let's get ready for Bible class and uh, get ready for uh, Old Testament Liberty. studies, New Testament studies and go from there. So everybody was leaving. So it was probably 15,000 the time, the 10 minute mark came in the fourth quarter. They started coming back. I was getting double teamed and ultimately went to overtime and we lost. So oh. that, that game, there's a picture of me like on one knee, um, and the, the photographer's behind me and I'm on one knee looking at the, uh, Coastal Carolina celebration. They're just like going crazy. And I hung that up in my, in my, uh, my dorm room, uh, after Jesus. that game and use that as motivation. Um, good. for the following season. And granted, we, you know, I had a pretty good game. They were the number one team in the country when we beat them undefeated. Uh, we made the playoffs and um, made history that, that, that year, my senior year. So that, that was a lot of fun, mm. but you, you had to bring that up, didn't you?
1: Well, you were the only team to beat them the next year. Looks like a last-second field goal, maybe, 15-14, and you had a huge game. So there is a great – there's a good story there, Gabe. It, that win doesn't mean as much if you don't lose – the year before there's catharsis it all evens out in the end so it ended well for you
0: yeah indeed and um that's still i always like brag about it but like the, my senior year when we beat coastal that was still the best year in school history like we've had malik willis come out we've had antonio gandy Golden, we've had some some pretty good athletes get drafted in the first three to four rounds but they can't take that that playoff win and beating the number one team in the country away from us
1: you must have been stumping pretty hard for Malik Willis. I mean, don't don't lie to me. You were in Quasi's <laughs> mm. ear about it. Mm.
0: I wasn't in his ear, but um, I-, I talked to a few people. I wore I wore some liberty. I, like this is a true story. Like during draft period, like I wore some liberty, like liberty apparel, like <laughs> a liberty. I respect l- it. it. It was a good conversation. It's, that started. is amazing.
3: Subliminal yeah. messaging going
2: on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, like leaving yeah. post-it yeah. notes. Like, oh, sorry, yeah. that's. My post-it note, Where's Malik Willis. No, no matter list? what.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Oh, yeah. Gabe, so, I know I mean, you got to go. Post, they, they, they didn't bite the bullet, so go ahead, go ahead. My bad. Uh,
1: I know. Yeah, no, that's that's an area of angst for me. I wanted him to, but it's he's at Gabe A. Henderson on Twitter, Vikings Entertainment Network, vikings.com. Look for that big interview coming out later this week that he mentioned. Gabe, thanks for joining us, man. We'll talk to you again soon. All right.
0: Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Yeah, take care, Gabe. You can
1: catch Gabe filling in for Ron Johnson on the Ron Johnson Show as well. Uh, Love Gabe. Love his contributions and uh, revisiting his career. And to be honest with you, I I didn't know the stats on Gabe until I looked him up during the interview. He's got some stats. I mean, he had 100-yard games in college. That's
3: pretty amazing. Hey, in your PPR league, man, just a machine there, Sam. I don't know those <laughs> stats either, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, regular West Walker, stuff. right? He could, he could have That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Someone called. We're going to
1: argue about yeah. CJ Ham's fate in a moment, but first we have our four-minute drill. We each get one minute to make a point. Arif Hassan goes into debate mode. We've got a clock on the screen, and we have a graphic to play to introduce the segment. Let's run it. I want everybody to give me Kirk Cousins 2022 stat line. So that would be yards, touchdowns, and interceptions. We'll keep it basic. Bonus points for uh, completion percentage. But we'll start with Luke Inman. Kirk Cousins 2022. You've got one minute to convince us of his stats for the year. Let's go.
3: 4,800 yards, 45 touchdowns are on the table for Kirky this year. Same system we saw Matt Stafford throw for 4,900 last year. And Kirk has better weapons, I think, top to bottom all the way around, not just in the passing game, but the running game, I think is going to give him a lot more freedom in the passing lanes than Stafford had in L.A. Kirk was tied to such a conservative system under Zimmer, didn't really let him be more aggressive, even if that means turning the ball over and throwing more interceptions. I think those will rise just by default as well. I think he'll throw the most interceptions he's ever thrown in his career. Currently, that sits at 13. He's thrown that twice uh, in two seasons in his career. I think about 15 to 18 Interceptions is what I'd expect. He's still always been good, though, at not turning the ball over when passing. Stafford had 17 picks last season. Bottom line, though, 4,800 yards, 45 TDs, about 16 interceptions. That's what I've got him going for in 2022. Oh, and one rushing touchdown as well, Sam. Throw that in there. <laughs>
1: and a bad gritty afterward. 45 a touchdowns, dritty.
2: though. Yep. Arif, let's go. All right, I'm not gonna go quite that aggressive. Luke's always been kind of a bit of the optimist, but I'm gonna say we're gonna get above 4,500 yards. I think that that makes sense given that uh, we should expect a 550 uh, attempt passing offense, maybe a little bit more. The Vikings did have a lot of close games last year. So I don't want to project too much more in terms of passing volume, but in terms of passing frequency over average, I think so. The Vikings will be ahead in a couple more games than they were last year. That's going to be made up for by the style of offense that they're in. So we're going to see about 8.1 to 8.3 yards per attempt. That's just kind of the area that Kirk seems to excel at. I think we're going to see above a 5% touchdown rate. I think we're going to get maybe a career high in touchdowns for him. That's going to be about 38. I don't know that we're going to be able to cut down at interceptions a ton, but it's not going to be bad. I think we're going to be at 10 interceptions. So with that in mind, probably a 67% completion percentage, I think we're going to see what amounts to a career year for uh, Kirk, Uh, given that, you know, we've got 17 games. It is possible we hit something like 4,800, but I think 4,500 with the 38 touchdown, 10 interception ratio is going to be uh, something that propels them into a Pro Bowl conversation should they be able to threaten the playoffs. (laughs) Backed
1: by data, Arif Hassan, very on brand. Luke Braun, let's hear it.
4: Yeah, you know, when we talk about a, a quarterback's stat line, I feel like too often we hear like a proxy for how good that – no, we're chasing volume here. There, If you're talking like a fantasy football perspective, we're talking about how often are they going to pass, how many attempts are we going to see, and – a little bit how good is this quarterback but when it comes to touchdowns and interceptions it's a totally different thing i'm going to go with like a 4350 um with he will be ahead. Sometimes there might be some games where he's not throwing as much, but there will be a lot more passing volume. I think if you remember Kevin O'Connell got into a whole thing in Washington, wanting to use pass plays to set up other pass plays and Bill Callahan didn't agree. And I think he's good. Get, he gets to do it his way. Now. I think you're going to see a lot more passing. So I'll go like 43 50. I think he will be able to throw like 36 eh, touchdowns and maybe a little bit of a riskier style might lead to some more interceptions. We'll go with like 12 interceptions, and I think we can be okay with it because we want Kirk to be more aggressive.
1: Yeah, good arguments all around. Um, I'll take my stab at this year. I look at Kirk Cousins' track record now going into year eight as a starter, and what is Kirk if not consistently inconsistent, inconsistently consistent, whichever way you want to phrase it. He finds a way to do the same thing every year, and he gets there in convoluted ways. But he always ends up with around 4,000 and change, uh, 31 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. That's like his per 17 average as a quarterback. And he's got a gigantic track record at this point. And not every offense has been run first. Some of these have been a little more pass forward. And he still finds a way to put up similar statistics. So I think the law of averages and the law of Kirk comes into play here. And he'll find his way. To about that 4,500 number, which which was tossed out, and I think is is pretty much correct. I'm going to go 29 touchdowns, just shy of 30, and eight interceptions, because I don't think he can convince his body to be more risk taking. I think he will <laughs> he will find a way to avoid those plays, and that's to his credit and to his detriment. But I, I just I just pulls back. <laughs> I can't convince myself that he's suddenly going to just let her rip. I think that he'll find a way, even if he has a fast start, I think he'll still have those uh, Kirk Cousins stretches where he kind of disappears. So uh, none of those prognostications, though, gentlemen, are bad for the Vikings. I mean, all of those guesses, even my like conservative guess, still pretty good for Minnesota if he ends up with that, assuming that the decision-making is good, they're choosing the correct times to pass and the correct times to run. And speaking of the run game, I want to pose this question because I saw a stat from Eric Eager. The Vikings have run 21 personnel, exactly three plays in the preseason. Three. Three plays with two running backs on the field, a.k.a. a fullback. So, Arif, is C.J. Ham becoming a wasted roster spot?
2: I'm glad you asked it like that and not whether or not C.J. Ham is at risk of losing his job because the way they've talked him up offseason, no way would they cut him just just to save face even like it would be so ridiculous for them to cut him and then for us to go to the facilities like hey you said all these great things about cj ham and then you cut him that's kind of screwed up isn't it um <laughs> no he's definitely going to be on the roster is he a wasted roster spot um i don't think necessarily that's the case and the reason for that is because i think the things that they want to do with cj ham are the kinds of things that they don't want to reveal in the preseason i think that they want to deploy cj ham in ways that are strategic to them because they think that he could do everything they think that he could be a kyle use right and if he could be a kyle use you do not uh you know reveal your hand early in the preseason now remember the Vikings starters have rested you know a lot you know they they, they have they've played like nine total snaps in the preseason so far they consider cj ham to be a starter right and if that's the case then no you're not going to get a bunch of 21 personnel what are we going to learn um, by by putting Jake Vargas, well, I guess Jake Vargas isn't even on the team, right? Like, what are you gonna what are you gonna learn by putting you know a fullback on the field, right? So um, I I think that the way that you think of a fullback and the way the Vikings want to think about CJ Ham, those are completely different things, and I think that they want to be creative, have them run wheel routes, have them run choice routes, have them motion in and out, have them play wing, have them play you know. Right up in the nub, like I, I, there's so many different ways that you could use somebody that they project CJ Ham to be. I don't know if they're right. I think that they're being really optimistic, but so many ways that they project you can use CJ Ham that I, I think that the the preseason deployment doesn't tell us much
4: when you decide whether or not you're going to use a fullback, you're not doing that before you know who the fullback is. Like that's not a decision. You're like, I'm going to be a fullback offense this year. Who are our guys? No. If you have a fullback, be a fullback team. If you don't have a fullback, don't be a fullback team. Um, And the difference between, this is probably the key difference between like the McVeigh version and the Shanahan version is that Shanahan has used check and uses him. Um, And there are Shanahan concepts that have, kind of leaked into this this is not just a copy paste mcveigh playbook the, there are san francisco concepts in, in this uh playbook that we've seen already um they've spent entire days drilling like lead concepts with with a fullback in them in camp so no i, I i'm with the reef i think that there's going to be more of this in the season but even without that even without lead concepts where you have cj ham as a lead blocker the real difference between like a run play where you have a lead. Fullback and a run play without one is that a tight end does that job, anyways. CJ Ham might be the second best tight end on the roster right now. <laughs> like, it there's You're not that, that tight end depth is such a problem that putting the fullback in is like genuinely, uh, maybe we should do this if Irv Smith isn't healthy. Maybe CJ Ham gets tight end reps. Yeah, that guy should probably be on your 53 and available to you. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't call it a, a wasted roster spot. I think they're going to use him more than, than we think. Um, probably wouldn't go with preseason starter snap counts by this logic. So Justin Jefferson's a wasted roster spot too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Inman, <laughs> let me, let me tee you up in a second here, Luke. Cause I, I think, I think that they're both right. Um, things that were told to me prior to training camp were that Kevin O'Connell actually believes the, the LA Rams used 11 too much. They were number one in 11 personnel usage last year. He actually thinks there are, are mismatches to be exposed if they go a little heavier. Now, I know the roster construction with the lack of tight end depth doesn't really lend itself to that, except for C.J. Ham, who can play a little bit of that tight end role. I think you guys really hit the nail on the head. And based on what we know about the team's paranoia and their desire not oh to God. play anyone in the preseason, they're clearly trying to 4D chess <laughs> this thing to unveil – The ham package against the Packers in week one. So Luke Inman, what I would pose to you is let's assume that we're right. Let's assume that CJ ham is a big part of this offense. Is the team right in doing that when that probably means they're taking KJ Osborne or another receiver off the field.
3: Well, it's a good question. I, I think when you can have such a stark contrast in your offense to spread out a defense on one play with four or five wide and come back the next play on second and two with a heavy personnel fullback, it just really tests and stretch out a defensive capabilities, communication skills, things like that. So. I, I absolutely don't think he's a wasted spot. I'm with both you guys, and I expect him to be on the field and make an impact. I think more than people think, given the opportunity or the opponent they're playing, week-to-week game plans, uh, You know what KOC draws up in that offensive room. And like Arif mentioned, I don't think they've shown any of that us that in the preseason thus far on purpose. But even at training camp practice, maybe not in the preseason games, but at training camp practice, Uh, for me, the the one or two days that I was out there, I saw him out there quite a bit. I was actually a little surprised just because I had heard so little about him. So I certainly think that KOC wants to run the ball pretty effectively. And I'm glad Arif mentioned Kyle Juszczyk. Not just use him as a lead blocker, but utilize his pass catching skills as well probably not at tight end like we joked about even though let's be serious maybe he would be a good tight end given our lack of depth right now but in different roles the wheel routes things like that i think uh, would be a great way to maximize cj Ham's skill set for sure
1: uh nerdy stat of the day coming up around the corner but first a reminder to subscribe to lockdown sports minnesota wherever you get your podcasts and if you do that you get access To a whole bunch of shows, a great array of sports talk here locally, Superior Sports Talk with Luke Inman and Reggie Wilson, The Ron Johnson Show with Ron Johnson and yours truly, this program right here, Minnesota Football Party, and our postcasts, Instant Reaction After Twins, Vikings, Wolves, and Wild Games. Get it all on Locked On Sports Minnesota. That's on YouTube and free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Time for a new segment, gentlemen. Who would like self-classify themselves as a nerd? like full hand up, like kind of maybe I'm definitely like, I've definitely got a hand up here. I don't think anyone on this podcast is a nerd. No one else is playing along. Okay, It's time for our nerdy stats of the day. I've instructed our panel to find the nerdiest stat they can possibly find. And, uh, Luke Braun, this is not saying that you're the number one nerd, but I want you to go first.
4: (laughs) All right. I'm going to go with one that influenced the events of this morning. Uh, 3.11, that's the amount, the average time to throw for Kellen Mond in the pocket in this preseason in these two games. Him holding the ball too, like that isn't always a a sign that somebody's holding the ball too wrong. Sometimes there's a bunch of rollouts, you hold the ball longer on those. Um, and how long you're supposed to hold the ball is different from play to play so the average doesn't tell you everything but in this particular case yep it's telling you what what it should be because he holds the ball too long <laughs> he hesitates he reads it too long he takes too long to get to his check down he gets too long to takes too long to get through his progressions he takes too long to make any decision and even once he's made a decision he takes too long to throw it it's led to sacks it's led to interceptions it's led to pressure that probably shouldn't have happened um it's was a huge problem and i think it's one of the things that makes him an untenable backup quarterback and that's the one i came prepared with and i guess the vikings agree <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is so perfect for a nerdy stat of the day i'm so i'm so grateful that you came up with that
2: arif uh it's actually going to be pretty related to to what luke just came up with it's it's the pressure to sack rate so uh this actually uh i think if you don't read it correctly is a statistic that would come across in Mond's favor, right? Because, it's, because what pressure to sack rate tells us is how often a quarterback's pressures result in a quarterback sacks. And very often that that tends to translate um, into, into you know, a responsibility for the quarterback for the ability to avoid sacks once they invite pressure. Now, Kellen Mond's pressure to sack rate is extremely low, right? It's 7.2% uh compare that to nick mullins uh, and that's just in the preseason compare that to nick mullins i would just had 18.2 percent which is about uh, nfl average but i want to say that this is kind of a warning to vikings fans right because um you take a look at quarterbacks with below a 10 percent pressure to sack rate over the over the past couple of years they have all come back down to earth what happens here is that they invite sacks they don't receive the sacks in that very limited sample size and people don't realize What is actually at risk here? Because if you hold on to the ball for 3.11 seconds uh, in the pocket, you're going to get sacked. And the fact that Kellen Mond has avoided sacks, yeah, some of that is skill on him, but some of that is a lot of luck and variance. I think that we would be talking a lot more about Kellen Mond's inability to get out of pressure or his likelihood of inviting pressure. If if he had actually generated the number of sacks, he should have based on the number of pressures, hmm. which is to say that once the regular season starts and he gets forced into a game, if he gets forced into a game, we're going to see a ton of sacks from him that we didn't anticipate or see from the preseason. I think that that is a warning sign that things are actually a lot worse than they seem to be because that's going to be kind of, it's one of those snapback stats. It's, it's one of those things that rubber bands back to kind of hitting you in the face. It happened to Case Keenum in the playoffs. It's something I remember warning people about mm. That his pressure to sack mm. ratio was um, unsustainable.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like for his alleged athleticism, he doesn't wriggle out of trouble quite like you would want him to. Um, Luke Inman, you're by far the coolest person on this podcast, so we'll save you for Jeez. last in nerdy stat wow. of the day. On the shape. I've got Why a would good T.Y. McGill nugget. Um, T.Y. McGill's played for a zillion billion teams. We addressed that with Will Raggetts last week. When he has been given over 100 snaps in three separate seasons – He has a PFF grade of 69 or better all three of those seasons. And for those that don't know, it is nice. Um, That's a good grade. That is like green, which is better than yellow, which is better than red. He is in like the serviceable starter category as a pass rusher. I should clarify that. That's pass rush grade. Not overall grade, pass rush grade. So it shouldn't be surprising then that T.Y. McGill is showing pass rush chops with the Minnesota Vikings because when he's been given a chance, he has been pretty good.
3: Luke Inman. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. Well, I knew there was no way I would keep up with uh, my two counterpoints. Uh, no offense, Sam. You did great as well. But uh, Luke and Arif, this is their <laughs> bread and butter. Let's be honest. Come on. Um, but I, there was two stats that stuck out this summer. Um again, not on that level, no next-gen stats, no PFF, um, that have stuck with me through this offseason, this new era under KOC. First of all, Vikings ranked third in league in DVOA passing in the red zone, but only 29th when running in the red zone. Thought that was interesting. But the other thing is we try to draw so many similar similarities back to the Rams and what uh, you know KOC is bringing with him here to Minnesota. Now, it was only 13% of their plays but the Rams had the worst offense in the league when opponents had base defense personnel on the field at minus 42% DVOA, 3.6 yards per play. So we just talked about C.J. Ham. All right, how much are they going to utilize C.J. Hamm? Well, when C.J.'s on the field, uh, you, you assume you get a lot of base defense personnel. Just going to be interesting to see if um, KOC starts to shed that a little bit and learn from his mistakes and knowing how much they struggled. Uh, again, when defenses were in that base personnel and um, maybe again, how much he utilizes this fullback CJ Ham versus again just trying to stretch out the defense and keep them on their toes a little bit. I thought those two were pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, no, Luke, you sold yourself. Sure, those are excellent nerdy stats. Maybe you're more of a nerd than I thought. Maybe you're you're right with us. You're probably the biggest nerd on the One show. One of us. Yeah, let's be honest. One of us. <laughs> One of us. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, check out care11.com slash locked for links to every single show. Remember it's endless Vikings talk with local experts subscribe and leave a comment or five-star review, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we got one more short topic and then we'll get into our party fouls Vikings position group rankings. Uh, obviously the quarterback position group has already changed today, but other position groups ranked as well at ESPN insider. If you pay for that, you can get access, but The Vikings ranked, as a position group, fifth at wide receiver, third at running back. For those that didn't read the story or didn't have access, would you like to guess which teams were above them at wide receiver and running back?
3: At running back, it's got to be the Colts and the Browns, I would guess. Maybe the Packers are in there as well. Those got to be the top four teams,
1: though. Uh, uh, You got it right away, Colts and Browns. So for Browns, that would be, I guess, Dearness, Dearness Johnson dream Hunt, Nick mm-hmm. Chubb, mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Who do they have beyond? They have Hines and Taylor, mm-hmm.
2: top two. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and they just lost Marlon okay.
1: Mack,
2: right?
3: Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Was quite. All good right, room. at
1: wide receiver, who would you guess that are above the Vikings?
3: Ooh, Man, uh, that's a little bit tougher. um Yeah. Yeah. I, I,
2: I wonder. So I think the Bengals are up there. I wonder if they're already incorporating. Um, Pickens and the Steelers. I'm guessing not because these articles tend to be written by Barnwell or Mike Clay and they're very statistically oriented. Um, so uh, probably the Buccaneers uh, along with the Bengals. Um, I, yeah, I think some AF West,
3: AFC West teams. Maybe it's the Broncos or Chargers. I mean, the Dolphins um, just got a
2: bunch of guys, right? So
3: you, you yeah, could say Dolphins, along with Baldwin
2: Hill, but I, I wouldn't put yeah. the Dolphins above the Vikings, but that's something. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Cardinals, of course, right? Right, because they got mm. uh, they got DeAndre Hopkins. They, I, I could I could absolutely see the Cardinals up there. But to me, the Bengals and the Buccaneers yeah. are the clear one 2 After that, it's tough for me. I feel like Minnesota should be up there. Maybe I'm overrating Osborne relative to, you know, what these uh, what these eggheads tend to do. But I, I guess I could see Miami because of of Waddle's upside. I guess I could see uh, the Chargers. Um, maybe Seattle would make a ton of sense to me as well. Um, but yeah, that one's that one's tough. I, I would, I actually I would about, just put.
3: Yeah, how, how about the Vikings Eagles? AJ, a great one-two punch. Mm-hmm. AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. Maybe they're up there. But again, I go back to the AFC West. There's got to be I at could, least one I of those could AFC certainly West. Certainly see in the there. Eagles. If <laughs> yeah. if if
2: it was a Mike Clay or Bill Barnwell article, I could see them downgrading AJ Brown more than you or I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All
1: right. Makes so all four teams sense. above them have been mentioned. It was a Mike Clay article, for the record.
2: Yeah, Throw out, out like ten teams, of course. <laughs> Yeah,
3: um, <laughs> keep throwing okay. those darts up, man. Throw those darts Bengals, up. Bengals, Bengals number one. did. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: Tampa number two. Nice. Uh, yeah, Miami easy one two there. Miami, Miami. Number, okay, three. Yeah. number three. Okay,
2: yeah, three Yeah. who's who's on that Miami roster. So it's going to go Kill, up, baby. Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson. That was like I knew they had added another guy. That makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A good yeah there's no
1: way type. that just Waddle really and Hill, good. I think, would get them to be to be number yeah. three. And then number four. I like it's Arizona and like with or without the Hopkins suspension, obviously with it, I mean that's a huge detractor for them. But yeah. what else are they hanging their hat on? Like Rondale Moore taking a yeah, gigantic? No, Ron, step? Well Rondale Moore
3: Marquise and, Brown uh, and Marquise over, just traded yeah. For him. Yeah. yeah, Marquise yeah. Brown has got what, over a hundred passes two years in a row, I think. Or or at yeah. least targets have been insane in that but Baltimore I, offense. I I think
2: their I think their depth is pretty bad outside of those three. Which is why I kind of moved off of that. But
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, what are you looking
2: More? at? They've at taken Sabella. a lot of
1: swings and yeah. misses at wide receiver. I mean, Andy Isabelle is kind of the last remnant
3: of those yeah. swings Luke, and you misses. I know Keyshawn they've cut... Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I remember Hakeem. Yeah. Butler? Hakeem yep. Butler? Yeah. yeah. Hakeem Butler was the big one. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they drafted am... three receivers that year, and all of them were steals. None of them bad. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> How far we come? I are we've think called?
1: Rondale Moore is sneaky good. But otherwise I not Rundo Moore's that that's great. a big
2: part of it. Marquise Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you the know, two of them pair very
4: well goals. together.
3: Yeah, and, and they use they Zach Ertz, and now they have Trey yeah, McBride who was top, uh, you know yeah. the number one tight end coming into this draft as well. So as far as a passing game as a whole, I, yeah, I, don't, a I personally
2: wouldn't put this group without DeAndre Hopkins, I wouldn't put this group ahead of the Vikings, obviously. I think mean, with DeAndre, mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins, I still probably put the Vikings ahead of them, but I, I can see kind of what the argument is. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I would put the Vikings above them.
1: So no charge. Range of outcome on the Cardinals is crazy this year. Yeah, I could I could believe like six to twelve wins. What do the Chargers
2: there. rank? Because they just got uh, they still have Joshua Palmer, right? So they've got Allen Palmer and, and Williams.
1: They just tap dance with me for a moment. The Chargers are six, right behind Minnesota. Oh, right behind the
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Seattle, who you mentioned, sure. is seven. So you did you did a nice job there. Uh, how about the Broncos?
3: Where are the Broncos at? Jerry, Judy, Cor- oh, Broncos, Johnson, KJ Hamlin. I'm just curious.
1: 14. 14. And 10. I like that. I like that core, too. Baltimore, How, how about the Raiders?
3: How about the Raiders? Raiders? Devontae Adams, Renfro. 10.
4: Wow. I think I saw somebody, Man, interesting. Uh, Kevin Wow. who does locked on Ravens. I, I couldn't tell if he was joking or not, but he might not yeah. have been joking, that Isaiah likely might be wide receiver one on the ra- Ravens.
3: Wow! Yeah, there's a lot it's of hype. So yeah, aggressive. for sure, there's a lot of hype. Yeah, that's crazy. it's so aggressive. That's crazy. Uh, he this does on Like he is, is being
4: a homer about it. It's okay. Okay. No, this for is you sure. say is anti-gopher, anti-gopher
1: bias. bias, arif
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: oh you oh, know right. what I'm talking
2: Yeah. About. yeah of course. Yeah. It, 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 a common yeah. bias I mean in sports media. Got a <laughs> any way that you can you can dig on gophers like you know Rashad Bateman. People will always take those shots. It, it's famously.
1: I'm trying to think of other examples, but I'm just going to go with you on it. <laughs> just trust me. Look, man, how, many, how many
2: Pro it. Bowls did Eric Decker get? Not enough. Is Adam Should've Weber on the roster? No. <laughs> we
3: had Adam Weber on the Ron John- Johnson show name, last Ron. week. Yeah. They played yeah, together on the Bruce same team. Did get run out of the league for no reason? Yeah, it's bogus, man.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, how many, how many, how many Pro Bowls did Lawrence Maroney make? None. That's because of the media mm. bias against Gophers.
3: Fair enough. Nothing to do yeah. with Bill Belichick and that Patriots. Yeah. Round how many, how many times have all. we heard Nothing.
2: Boy Maffey's name this preseason?
3: Once. Mm. Brutal. Mm. I
2: don't know. He I mean, was blowing up that first game, but maybe right, I was we only heard, seeing mentions from the we, Gophers we Twitter see, account. We we didn't see <laughs> as much mention of Boy Maffey as we should have, even though he had a wonderful preseason. This is I know you're bias. lying
4: about how much Seahawks Twitter is on your feed.
2: What is the gigantic
1: uh, tackle doing, Falele? What's he up to? I haven't seen his name. Yeah, another Miles example. Is real. Yeah. How have I not seen his name? Like I feel like he'd be the classic preseason player that everyone would be talking about. Is he hurt? He's on yeah. the
3: Yeah. O line maybe just doesn't get talked about a ton. Ronnie Stanley I think on the pup, <laughs> so he should be starting with. with... Morgan Moses, right? How I do mean, I spell club, How do you Fa-A-L-E-L-E? A L E L E Okay.
1: Well, because they've, they've got uh, Juwan research,
2: right? So that's probably mm-hmm. why. That's probably why we're not seeing. Yeah, it, that's true. A, yeah. Because I think Falela is probably right tackle only.
3: Right tackle only. Yeah, you're right. That's yeah, my
1: guess. I think he's playing. All right, party fouls to end the show. Let's run the animation. I'll start and I'll I'll fall on the sword right away. Zach Davidson's game was a party foul for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I went in with high hopes, great optimism, a full spirit. And I left and my, my proverbial party cup, my red solo cup had been poured out. It was completely empty. I had nothing left. Um, Zach Davidson's drop down the middle, which could have gone for an 80 yard touchdown with his 20.9-mile-per-hour top speed, as we learned. To lose out on that opportunity, major party foul, Zach. Catch the ball.
3: Yep, can't go wrong with that one. Um, Are we going to have to go back to K.J. Osborne as the punt returner? I mean, that says something that I'm even bringing this up because he wasn't great in his first two years in the NFL, but at least he never fumbled last year. And that's where we're at now. That's, that's the bar now. He had 50 punt returns in college, so he's got some experience somewhere in there, albeit more at the collegiate level. But, and I know they don't want K.J. Osborne to you know, be back there now that he's going to be an integral part of this passing game. But I just don't know how you line up ISM back there at this point from what we've seen and how much you struggle to hold on to the football.
2: Yeah. yeah, and just let him be a receiver,
3: honestly, at this yeah. point. But 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 who's the option? But okay, I agree with you. But now what? Who are you throwing up? Who are you throwing I, I think
2: either Jalen Naylor or KJ Osborne, and I think you can trust KJ yeah. Osborne to be a better player at that position than he was uh, two years ago when he was actually a liability, mm-hmm. because he's a better receiver than he was two years ago. And I I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, kind of there's a confounding variable between the two of them that kind of would explain improving of both. Like you said, he had four partner turns last year. None of them were disasters. I think that mm-hmm. that's the competition. Now it's Jalen Naylor and KJ Osborne tough competition. Cause you're not going to play Osborne all that much in the preseason. But I right. think that
3: that's what you go with. So yeah. No, I'm with you. I agree. I'm with you.
2: If Tommy we Hennigan go was healthy, we'd with... be hearing more about him.
3: Right.
4: <laughs> Would we, uh, what? What? I gotta go with Kellen Mond in the last the final interception, I'm going with a specific Kellen Mann play for my party foul. The last interception he threw baffled me. And I, I actually went and asked like forums with coaches in them, like, please explain what he saw to me. And the most charitable thing that people could say is that he should have looked off the safety and forgot to. But there is no excuse for that interception. He throws a horribly underthrown ball. He doesn't step into it, even though he could, uh, could have. And just didn't see the safety this safety was not disguised this was not a hidden safety there was no deception at all this was just a single high deep safety right there threatening everything deep and he just threw it right at him anyways i can't fathom what he thought he saw and the most charitable thing i can think of is that he forgot to look
3: yeah it's almost like he lost a bet with that guy or something like dude you owe me one because that was just like, <laughs> what are we doing? You're right, man. That that was insane. Either look him off or rifle that in there. Don't baby it and try to put some touch on there and do the flick of the wrist. That was that was bad. That was bad. And he's
1: thrown a couple Yolo balls downfield in training camp and in games. Unfortunately, dude, they've always been in double coverage.
2: They've all. Yeah. like the thing is, well, when yes. he has had a deep Dead receiver Duns. open in single coverage, he has never thrown it. Like. The amount of yards that Amir Smith has had left on the field by Kellen Mond in training camp mm. is baffling. Not to mention Myron Mitchell and Christian Jackson. But like, but when they're double covered, he is all about it. It's crazy. All right. He actually uh, yells YOLO when he throws it. Yeah, right. Uh, my <laughs> party foul is uh, Chan and Sullivan. Stop name searching, my dude. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> Just, just prove me wrong by playing good football. This is ridiculous, right? For the podcast
1: audience, we should read this out loud. What camp you been watching, Arif? I got time today. In title case. Arif's original tweet, Chan and Sullivan might be the biggest issue for the defense this year based on what we've been seeing throughout camp. And now that play, giving up 20 yards.
2: What, why why the hate a specific thing that occurred on the field and he was like i don't know what you're talking about so like, you just gave him 20 <laughs> yards in that tweet i like what <laughs> that's what i'm watching uh so that's party file one party file two uh is the way the panthers have been treating this quarterback thing they're being mm-hmm. um insulated by the fact that mackerel uh had a ligament injury that he suffered in the preseason, but. Uh, Corral should have started that game. The fact, I mean, I love PJ Walker. Uh, props to PJ Walker. He should be starting for the team. But um, if if it's a starting battle between uh, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, and by all accounts, Baker Mayfield was ahead the entire time. Dude, give Matt Corral the reps that he needs in order to develop. Otherwise, you're going to have like a what was it, a third round pick uh, on your practice squad at quarterback? Just ridiculous that they wouldn't give him any time. And of course. Uh, now we're not going to talk about it because Matt Krogl got injured, probably a season ending injury, a torn ligament in his foot during the preseason. Um, but I mean, he shouldn't have been in that specific position because he should have been uh, playing earlier in the game. So just a ridiculous way to handle this quarterback thing from the Panthers.
4: Should be Stunned, noted while we, we be were be... recording, they officially yeah, named Baker Mayfield.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you, yeah. I mean, that was just obvious.
4: Yeah.
1: Hmm. That It was a good show, gentlemen. Uh, Gabe Henderson joined, covered a lot of ground. Make sure to check us out, Locked On Sports Minnesota, wherever you get your podcasts, free and available, or on YouTube. For Luke Inman, Luke Braun, and Arif Hasan, we will return on Thursday where Ron Johnson makes his weekly appearance, and we will preview the Broncos game on Saturday and maybe get a a little Andrew Booth update and a Nick Mullins press conference under our belt. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Thanks so much for watching the Minnesota Football Party. Have a great Monday.
2: A hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.